welcome to the Lightly Literary Podcast, the only book club podcast that has all the best routes for sneaking out of the house mastered. We've got the master plans, got the architectural blueprints, we know the creaks and the cracks. We can do it all, Amanda. Yeah, heck yeah. <laughs> have you ever snuck out of your house? I'm assuming you don't have to, as you're an adult, as am I. <laughs> you, did you ever sneak out of your house growing up? I snuck out one time, and that was the night before mm-hmm. I went to college, so I don't even know if that counts. That does not count. <laughs> you were already emancipated, basically, in the eyes of the law and of God. Yeah. No, that just definitely does not count. I snuck out my I was, fair I share. I was such a good I, kid. <laughs> yeah. I snuck out fewer than 10 times, and also I can say this, I was caught... I think it was sophomore year of high school-ish. My friend and I had went out to see to see some girls, so we were causing the normal teenage trouble, I suppose. But mm-hmm. I got caught sneaking back in, not out, and I never did it again after that. I felt very shamed. My mom, you know, was upset and everything, and I never... That was... So, mom, if you're listening, then first of all, thank you for listening, and secondly, <laughs> yeah, I genuinely did not do it again after that, but, you know, she was also pretty generous and under... Like, she would let me go out with friends and stuff, so it wasn't... Oh. I didn't need to rebel so much. I, yeah, I was, I was, I'm a terrible liar, which you know, cause we play board games together mm-hmm. and, um, and that's been like my whole life. So if I were to sneak out and if my parents ever asked me about it, right, like yeah. I, there's no way that I would be able to cover it up. You can't even handle the wrongdoing anyway. Some of us aren't <laughs> meant for it, you know? Some of us aren't meant to live in the carnival, you know? Yeah, true. If you have no clue why we're talking about sneaking out of the house and alluding to carnivals, that is because you have found a book club episode on the novel Something Wicked This Way Comes by Ray Bradbury. We are, as I mentioned, the Lightly Literary Podcast. I am Travis, and that's Amanda. Hey, Amanda. Hello. Let's sneak on into this episode. We are a book club podcast, so if this is your first time listening to us, hello, welcome, and thank you. We have social media accounts you can follow that we post actively on. That's on Facebook and Instagram. You can find those at the Lightly Literary Podcast, which is all one word, so give us a follow there if you want to see what we're reading, and we, we promote the books and keep up with the schedule and the podcast episodes and stuff there like and subscribe on any podcast platform please and thank you we always appreciate that we're on i think any major platform at this point and (laughs) if you found this episode then sure why don't you do it where you found us we do appreciate it this is a book club episode as i mentioned and so this will be an analytical deep dive now we always split our book clubs in half so as i mentioned this is on ray bradbury's novel something wicked this way comes and we'll be doing what is it? Chapters one through twenty-eight. Ooh, you did write it down. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Amanda's the yeah the local researcher and um, you know I was going to say detail-oriented person. I think we're both pretty detail-oriented. But anyway, I mean that's what makes us good readers. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We don't. We're not being. You know, we're meticulous in some things. Anyway, so today we will be discussing the first half of this book, which we've decided to go one through twenty-eight again. If you're averse to spoilers, just be aware we'll be discussing everything that happens in that section, or at least you know it's all open for discussion. I don't think Amanda, though. We can toss this one up to you as well. Are there any content warnings for this one? Would you say so far? I don't mm, think so. I don't think so. Okay. No. We usually base most of ours on, it's just judgment calls. We don't have some guide or we don't have like a list that we check against, if that makes sense. It's more of a judgment call. And I, I guess anyway, I just was thinking through it and I, I guess there aren't any. It is kind of a creepy, debatably even horror kind of novel though. But anyway. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, let's let's get into it. That's that's the setup. Uh, hopefully, you're here for the discussion about the first half of this Ray Bradbury novel. Again, we'll be spoiling that half, and um, let's ju- let's dive in. Why wait, right? Let's uh, head on yeah. to the fair. Let's go to the Midway, a word that I've seen more than ever in my entire life in this novel. <laughs> Midway, I think, shows up on every other page somehow. So anyway, we will begin our book club episode with a fill in the blank segment. This is just to get some conversation rolling. Amanda, you made the fill in the blank for this novel. Um, why don't you go ahead and set it up for us? Sure. Um, I said, uh, my least favorite aspect of a carnival fair or circus is blank because of blank. Sure. So I said, my least favorite is clowns. Yeah. Um, I will not say that I'm scared of clowns, uh, but I am definitely not a fan of them. And if yeah. I see one, I will walk the other way. Okay. And okay. if I were to be chased by one, which I have been, I would scream. That's a bummer. So. <laughs> no one wants that, yeah. I don't think. You know, even people yeah. who love clowns, I don't think. A, a chase is just never, who wants to be chased by anything, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, awful. <laughs> what about, did you watch It? Are you a Pennywise fan? Um, I got my fear uh, from watching uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Okay, So. Sure. I have not read or seen it because I mm-hmm. do not care to see it. <laughs> yeah, th- that's fair. Can I? Do you want me to give a big it spoiler here? Sure, you can. I will drop one because this year I was turned on to a YouTube channel, which I won't plug because I forgot the name. <laughs> but this guy <laughs> recaps horror movies and kind of summarizes them, does some commentary. I have found it to be hugely helpful in my life because I don't like horror movies but i still want to you know know about certain popular films and so it's great for me because he'll just recap it gives you the big bits spoils the whole thing kind of talks through it and you know you can understand the movie in like 30 minutes and not have to watch it anyway here's a big spoiler for it so pause listeners if you don't want to hear it it's not going to be very specific it is not a clown at all (laughs) it just takes the form of a clown to like for effect (laughs) it's actually yeah i won't say more to spoil more but it's actually not a clown like at all (laughs) It that just, makes sense because it's yeah. written by Stephen King. <laughs> yeah. It, I will say, has a, I thought, interesting, but perhaps a little bit of a cornier explanation. It's almost like, you know how in some sci-fi or fantasy you can explain too much? It's almost like it does that thing where it's like, oh, you uh, went to, you explained this too much or it, it has too much of an, a reason. To, anyway, I won't say more. <laughs> this also is not an episode about it. So, but if you're afraid of clowns, <laughs> you know, that's just one aspect to it. Um, yeah. And your favorite, do you have, cause I posed, what's your favorite thing about carnivals and circuses? Yeah. My favorite is the rides. I love roller coasters. I love spinning rides. I love gravity rides. I love all rides. Um, I even love obstacle courses, and I'm not sure that every fair has one, but um, I grew up around Fort Bragg, and every year um, was Oktoberfest, which was a fair, which meant that I got to go there for my birthday every year. So there was an obstacle course because it's on an army base. And um, we got to do really cool things like climbing up the wall and like zip lining off of it and everything, which is my favorite stuff to do. So that's fun. Almost. Yeah. Like a maze of some kind or something. Yeah. Obstacle courses are pretty rad. Do you trust (laughs) at a at a fair county fair, otherwise circus that moves around? Do you trust the quality of the rides? Uh, It depends on 
how rusty those rides look i think okay. you do, you're saying you do a visual pat down before you actually yes, get on okay do you ask to do you ask the person running the ride if you can you know do a full circle and like no, no, see no. the joints and the widgets and stuff <laughs> yeah no. yeah i i and just I listen to the sounds too okay, <laughs> like if there's okay. a lot of creaking i'm like mm. yeah that's your quality control i gotcha yeah i've got some obvious ones for this i think my least favorite to me, I went generic here, would just be the noise of it all or the heat. I think the noise I'm actually a little more on board with. Like, I that doesn't, I think it would just be g- the general, like, heat. The The idea of standing out to in, at midday in the peak of any season, hot season, the summertime, that just doesn't interest me really at all. Now, then again, there are tents, and I've definitely done this a plenty of times, and it's fine. But I think it's just kind of that general, like, it's loud, it's hot, it's, you know, people, a lot of bodies around. Just that vibe does not sit well with me. Uh, but I can't handle it, though. So it's, but I think that is my least favorite part. Um, yeah. I also just don't, rides, I don't like heights. I'm afraid of heights. So there's that. But I do love a good show, and I do love displays, and you know I'll, I'll go stare at a big pig, or I'll go stare at a large hog for a bit, <laughs> prize winner, <laughs> something. I don't know. That's that's the Wisconsin in me coming out. So I, yeah, it's mostly just the general kind of physical feeling, if that makes sense. That would be my least favorite. That that does make sense. I just got back from Disney World, and being in those lines, like in the heat of Orlando in those lines and i was just like this is miserable (laughs) okay yeah we'll catch up about that trip later but that's a good summary i guess (laughs) yeah that's fair yeah that's tough for me my most favorite is such a cop-out too but it's fine Mm. it's foods carny carnival foods you know circus foods county fair foods and i don't even really want to go to excess i don't need three funnel cakes you know but i feel like you can you can snack and munch down at a county fair pretty well here's another odd thing though is i really don't like eating while moving if that makes sense so it's like that's kind of a conundrum right because a lot of them it's stands or booths so you have to take your food and it's like get the hell right. out of here man there's nowhere to sit like yeah. <laughs> go stand in that you know run down grass dirt <laughs> circle the and gravel eat. drive <laughs> yeah, <it's> just, <laughs> yeah go to the gravel there and stand there and eat a corn dog i just so it's a contradiction right because the food does intrigue me i'm fine with it i'll have a corn dog and smile and be merry but i also like can you have a tent with just some chairs in it please <laughs> or something you know i just something about walking while eating i've never i've never yeah. liked that i don't know why i don't know where that came from that, that makes sense to me yeah yeah not not cut out for new york city life i'm not what's your I don't favorite think. fair food then great question i this is a tough one on the spot and i bet there's an obvious answer i'm just not thinking of i i don't know if you have one you should say because i really don't know i always think like a cream puff or a um not a cream cream puff or what's the other thing i'm thinking it's like lacy looking it's got powdered sugar the the funnel i think i just said it earlier yeah, th- those both stand out. To, they're probably not my favorites, but I do. Th- I always think of those first, where I'm like, ah, yeah, I'll get like a really fried dessert food. Yeah, uh, my favorite is the doughboy, which is it's just like a solid piece of fried dough, but you just douse it in butter, like just it's swimming in butter. Ooh. That's like my favorite. Okay. Do you like? Let's. This is where we start to do some literary analysis for those who have come for a book club <laughs> <laughs> instead of the the hangout hour, which that's fun too. Um, they smelled what licorice and cotton candy were those the two things they named? Yeah, a lot of yeah. Sweets. Uh, cotton yeah. candy is is a child's 
iconic food. So I respect it. It's not what I would think of at all. I would think of heavier things probably. I was trying to think of like, you know what I really did like? This just came to mind. Meat on a stick, any kind, any flavor combo, just like here's a chicken kebab skewer. Here's a steak skewer. Also, Mm. Wisconsin corn is pretty big. So like they'll do seasonal corn roasts and stuff. And that's a pretty iconic food in Wisconsin. Yeah. Get your corn. I've never tried. I know that they have like fried butter and stuff. I've never tried that. And I have no interest in trying that. (laughs) Yeah, you can take it too far. This is what I'm saying. (laughs) Like, look, civilizations, cultures across the globe have been frying dough for like thousands of years in many forms. So I'm down for, like you said, like what you just described, a a fried dough ball with butter. It's excessive, but at least it's got some precedent, you know? Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, okay, I I get this. But yeah, deep frying certain things just sometimes feels like people are too bored or something. Yeah. So, yeah. Let's dive into the book, shall we? We've warmed up yeah. enough, I believe. That's our, our fill in the blank. Let's talk about surprises. We've read, as I mentioned, about half of this book so far. Um, each of us has picked out something about the work so far that, as I said, has surprised us. This could be a pleasant surprise or, you know, maybe not so much. Do you want to take it away first, Amanda? What surprised you? Sure. Um, I'm surprised at how different this novel is to Fahrenheit 451, which Ray Bradbury had written Fahrenheit 451 mm-hmm. as well. Um or at least from what I remember of his writing style in Fahrenheit 451. And that's not a bad thing. I, I love Fahrenheit 451. I own the the comic book version and I own the actual novel version. And mm-hmm. um, and I went back just to double check. And yes, yeah, so the Fahrenheit 451 is very like dialogue heavy. Um, and the descriptions are not as... Uh, there's not as much setting. There's a little bit of setting right, and there's right. descriptions of other, like of the characters and the people and the things around them. But as far as like setting specifically, like with mood, um, it's very different as a novel. And I'm really enjoying that he is maybe experimenting or he's just showing like his range here, but I, I'm really enjoying how different this novel feels from something that I'm already familiar with. Yeah, the I I think of that book because I taught it a little bit when I was teaching in public school. It's pretty, you, you could say maybe didactic generously, but maybe preachy even. It's yeah. it's a book. We I think we've even said this on this podcast, but it's a pretty heavy book of people like arguing yeah. <laughs> or like giving speeches to each other. Trying to it's more philosophical in that way too. You know, a little mm-hmm. more academic. Like it's it has pretty clear philosophical ideas in it that it wants to convey. It's interesting too, and it has a setting that is of interest and in everything. But yeah. Yeah, it certainly has a different tone. This is this is a slower burn. Um, I'm going to use up my, I think I allot in my mind, maybe one to two to three swear words per podcast episode. So I'm going to do, <laughs> I'm going to burn them all here in the surprises. So uh, I am surprised, and I was thinking about how to word this. I am surprised the extent to which this man, this author is writing out of his absolute fucking mind. He, it, every sentence almost in this book is like exploding with words, <laughs> with like images. The, the other funny thing in this is that but then all of a sudden, you know, he writes such spare paragraphs at times that are he he just vacillates so much where it's mm-hmm. here's 10 lines of the most 
you know, I was going to say like insane. I feel like that's such a generic, I'm just reaching for a generic word there, but like 10 lines of the most dense, like you've described mood setting, sometimes disturbing or grotesque association. There's a lot of free associations going on of just like images he's grabbing from fucking history, from weird references. There's illusions like He's just writing his fucking brain out. But then, of course, he also switches really quickly to some snappy dialogue or he's he Ray Bradbury to me is the author I most associate with like a one line paragraphs where he's just like moving it. You know, he's just hitting it quick. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't I don't can't think of any other author who does that as often as he does where he's just like, nope, move enter enter key on the keyboard. Like I'm just (laughs) we're moving on to something else. We're pushing this. But I just the the book. um I was struggling to think of other books we've read so far in the podcast that are so aggressively bursting at the scene, like the sentences when he wants to go in, it's like they're exploding with, with ideas. And there are other authors whose ideas and images have been as dense, I think, uh, Burnt Shadows and Native Speaker and Toni Morrison's, which one did we read, Beloved? No, Bluest Uh, Eye. Yeah. Yeah, those all came to mind. I think this just has such a different... It's obviously trying to be such a different genre and it's such a different style of book. So it's weird to compare it to those because those are more serious things that are so grounded and realistic and they're trying to delve into these heavy kind of affect everyday people issues. This is obviously a different work of kind of fantasy and horror. But um, it's been kind of shocking to read how much he's going for it or something. It really feels uninhibited to me It's so far. Yeah, it's 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 amazing the way that he's writing. I just from the very beginning, I was just like, oh, yes, this is such a great book. <laughs> like, I just yeah, I couldn't yeah. put it down. I was I mean, I was I zipped through this uh, the first half so quickly because I was just mm-hmm. like devouring mm-hmm. all of his words. I loved it. I will say, and this maybe will lead into our motifs in a second, but we, we can keep chatting about this. But I will say this. I. It's almost odd. I've had this reaction reading it that I now almost feel on guard. So the first 50 or so pages, my brain was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever read in my life. Or, you know, not Mm. really, but it was some time. I was thinking very hyperbolically. And I also then thought at the same time, like, this is the kind of thing Amanda and I always crave, right? We beg for this. Really (laughs) dense. So intense. Every opportunity to do five things, he's doing 10 things. And it's also not a super long novel. It's, you know, 260, I think, pages, roughly my copy. Yeah. So we know it's going to be digestible. We It's doing the things we love. I think over time, that's actually made me a little guarded. And so I'm being, I think I started reading it more skeptically because I was like, I don't, at the, on the one hand, I want to get swept away by it. And I still am being, like, I'm engaging with all this and enjoying the description and the intensity and all that, the mood setting, which we'll, we'll describe this in more detail in a second, of course. But I did start to feel a little guarded, like I need to be more critical. Some of this is getting repetitive. Like, it, yeah, I almost had that weird whiplash of like, I don't want to just celebrate this. Like, what, what's it not doing well or what's is anything grating to me? So I had this kind of weird reaction. I don't know why I felt that way. But it there was that first 50 pages roughly where it was just total... I was like, wow, we finally found the perfect book for us. I really think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's wild. I was, um, while I was reading, um, about like midway through the first half, I was like, I really need to start thinking about what is not working in this novel. And I was like, that's going to be really difficult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just, this, the great thing is like with many great books that we love, Tony Morrison comes to mind for sure here. 
it's so strange to again put this up with Toni Morrison. They just have such different. Um, yeah. I don't know, like philosophical, social goals, <laughs> but the writing yeah. is uh, reminiscent anyway. But like, I, this feels like a book where you just pick a page, you'll find something to delight in and just to baffle you. I just literally just did that randomly on page 12. This is when they get to the library. Here's a couple of lines from this, just because I feel like we've danced around this enough. Let's start digging into some quotes. Yeah. Anyway, this is when they get to the library. Um, Listen, and you heard 10,000 people screaming so high only dogs feathered their ears. A million folk ran toting cannons, sharpening guillotines. Chinese, four abreast, marched on forever. Invisible, silent, yes, but Jim and Will had the gift of ears and noses as well as the gift of tongues. This was a factory of spices from far countries. Here alien deserts slumbered. Up front from the desk where the nice old lady, Miss Watrous, purple stamped your books, but down off were Tibet and Antarctica, the Congo. There there went Miss Wills, the other librarian, through Outer Mongolia, calmly toting fragments of Peiping in Yokohama and Salibs, Calebs, uh, way down the third book quarter, an oldish man whispered his broom along the dark, mouthing, I think it says mounding the fallen spices. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, yeah, it's, it's just never content to convey one or two things, this book. <laughs> it's yep. going to describe it all. It's going to pull another metaphor it's going to make another, uh, as we said, free association. The spices of the world are present. The you know, and that also, I think that's a good little bit of sensory stuff for a library, which can kind of smell musty normally. Be a, you know, yeah. be associated with that kind of stale feeling. But of course, it's so vibrant to them. It's so alive and everything. I we'll get to some complaints later. We have a segment for that planned. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, that's I feel like I wanted to do that experiment live on the pod here it was not planned just because it does feel like the kind of book where take, you know, pick a page and you'll come across something that is just so intense is the simplest way to say it. That's yeah. Normally my notes um when as I read, I take notes and my notes um are like full, but with this book I was just like there's if I were to take notes um like really in-depth notes like I would have so many notes like yeah (laughs) just so many things that I would love to point out and I was just like I gotta I gotta scale back so this is like the least amount of notes that I've ever written for any of the books because I'm just like yeah I could I could close my eyes and choose a page and I'd be good. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is wild. The now at some point maybe I'm already drifting into the critical section. Do you want to swap them? We could do them out of order today if yeah. you want. Sure. Yeah, let's do it because we're already veering into this anyway. We have a segment called "Please Continue, Make It Stop," which we're just going to do now because we've teased it enough, and then we'll <laughs> switch the motifs to later. Uh, this sounds. This is just what it sounds like. If you haven't listened before, we're going to each discuss something we'd like to continue in the book for the back half, and something to make it stop. So, let me do another paragraph of imagery for my "Please Continue." I pulled one that I did on. I purposely pulled this one, not by accident or not proving something by happenstance. Let me pull something. This is from seventy. This is when the they're meeting the older men at the carnival for the first time by the is it a merry-go-round Ferris wheel? Yeah, um, merry-go-round. The merry, right? yeah, Mr. Cooper. Yeah was the merry-go-round yeah yeah. on page 70 they're talking and they're kind of meeting them there it's out of order you know for the first time and he's trying to get them off the ride Mm -hmm. sorry i was burping anyway the quote reads the as as this his vest was the color of fresh blood. His eyebrows, his hair, his suit were licorice black and the sun yellow gem which stared from the 
um, tie pin thrust in his cravat was the same unblinking shade and bright crystal as his eyes. But in this instance, swiftly and with utter clearness, it was the suit which fascinated Will, for it seemed woven of boar bramble, clock spring hair, bristle, and a sort of ever trembling, ever trembling, ever glistening dark hemp. The suit caught light and stirred like a bed of black tweed thorns, intermittently itching, covering the man's long body with motions so it seemed he should excruciate, cry out, and tear the clothes free. Yet here he stood, moon calm, inhabiting his itch-weed suit and watching Jim's mouth with his yellow eyes. He never looked once at will. So there, it's here's a, some examples we can unpack here. It's not just going to be a boar bramble, which is already a kind of a compound description that's odd, and <laughs> you'd have to yeah. pause to process it. Of course, it's going to be a clock spring hair, bristle, ever trembling dark hemp and then later i believe it's what did he say it's itching oh itchweed suit is yeah, what he calls it weed and then of course the body his body is excruciating but that's not enough it has to cry out and then tear the clothes free it's just it is now here's where i'm going to transition into the make it stop right so that's my please continue my please continue is please write like this <laughs> it's explosive <laughs> and wild and unruly and untamed and From what I can tell about what this book is going to do plot-wise, it seems to fit this extremely menacing, terrifying, existential, and literal threat to this town that has showed up in the form of a carnival, etc. So yeah, please continue. My make it stop, though... It's a lot of listing, to be fair. Like, it's Mm -hmm. not like he's pulling miracles out. He just likes listing descriptions and verbs, (laughs) and that's fine. And I think he pulls often the right ones, so it's not like it's not working. I think for both of us, it's very much working. But it's not – it does at some point become pretty – exhausting to read and so i've had to take some pauses here i think i've read this first half in two sittings maybe three but i have felt like at times where i'm like okay i need to you know i've already had to reread a couple things i've reread the couple pages like i should slow down or pause um my make it stop too is like the references to ancient history specifically i think have become overdone at this point you know it comes in real hot with the not a wind chime man, lightning rod man. The lightning rod man, yeah. And his writing, lightning rods have runes, and it's Sumeria, and it's Phoenicia, and it's Greece, and it's just like, okay, we, we've we got primordial forces, it's all very old, it's deep-seated human conditions, wickedness or evil, or who knows what's going to, you know, happen. Right. But it just, that stuff comes up again in the library, it comes up again, often when the, the feelings of the, the boys are evoked, or even the, I think the father gets a sentence like this, it's just all very seated in ancient human and the references are just in your face and so i my make it stop is also so keep it going please continue but make it stop is maybe pull some of those back or maybe a few fewer lists or something i don't know it's i don't know it all feels very much the same i it's appropriate that this book has me a little tongue-tied i think (laughs) (laughs) and rambling i'm definitely rambling now (laughs) but that feels fitting enough anyway that makes sense. So my my please continue and my make it stop are pretty much the same. So I went a bit broader with the make it stop. Um, it's just uh, you you specifically talked about like the the prime the the prehistory stuff. I just mm-hmm. said in general, a lot of the motifs that we see are actually used quite a bit. It's like every page almost mm-hmm. you and definitely every chapter the motifs that he's chosen, which are very obvious from the beginning, right? There's, there's ice, uh, cold time, um, deep history, um, weather forces, natural forces, elements. There's, I mean, there's just a lot of motifs that he uses. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's every chapter that you find them, 
which I'm enjoying personally, but uh, for somebody mm-hmm. who maybe is uh, not doesn't care as much about like the the literariness of a book, they might find it a bit fatiguing sometimes um, and a bit too in your face. I will say that it, it can be a bit too in your face with some of the motifs where it's just like, okay, I get it, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, I'm enjoying it. Um, uh, but that was the one thing that I kind of noticed. Has it been at the expense of anything else? Because I have some ideas of moments that have felt a little... I was going to say sticky. I think it's the opposite. Like, it's like it almost... He loses the grip of the of some moments. But do you feel like it's been at the expense of anything else? Do you feel like you've been confused ever? Or, like, something was missing that should have no, been there? No, I haven't. Um, I think that it's something that I noticed, but that I haven't noticed not working for me. Yeah. To, to me, it's the plot. And it's not even the plot, the basics, but the... The literal movement of the boys sometimes, I'm like, oh, are they over there now? Or, oh, they ran, it, like, they move so often, right? And he loves describing how they run. <laughs> I could, yeah. you know, there's 30 different ways they've run so far, different speeds and with different intensities and ferocities and et cetera. But it's something about the basic where are they going and how and when and like it's it's very setting based because and it's funny i phrase it this way now because i agree with you the mood of the setting is so clear the ominousness of it all and the ancient evil of it all feeling it very strongly but there have been moments of just base confusion where i'm just like well that description was intense but now are they think of when they were in the tent with the police for example did you get a sense of like where are they standing like are they moving in are they kind of are they and it's it, i know all of these carnival people that i think they call them freaks probably not yeah. the term that would be used today but <laughs> yeah. that's from the book um but it, so i know they're all in the tent but like it's I, there's an ephemeralness to it i think probably on purpose though too yeah. is the other is the other thing i say all of this and then i think well in the tent it's supposed to be a sensory overload you know a place of doom and great evil power so yeah. it's i guess that's fitting right that i don't really know like are they moving into the tent have they stopped at the door are they like yeah there's just a certain um vagueness to scenes to certain scenes in the book that i could see putting off some people yeah, I, th- it doesn't bother me, but I could see how if you're if you want to be more clear, it could be a little off putting mm-hmm. in in that particular scene. I imagined them like surrounded by everybody, which makes it even more, I think, menacing in a way. So mm-hmm. definitely, definitely. Were there any other make it stop moments that you can remember? I mean, uh, I know we're both pretty strongly praising this book so <laughs> no that was that was that was it and then and my please continue is the same which is just the way that he writes the imagery the mood just his general writing style like the mood to um one of the things that we had talked about with um the stephen king novels that you and i have read together is that he is like really great at setting atmosphere and then i read this and i'm like oh my gosh like yeah. wow this is probably what stephen king read and was like I want to write like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, I just finished. Do you want me to do a um, a modestly long digression here? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just finished over break. I finished the stand. <gasps> oh the wow, that is a humongous book. <laughs> I know, and I read like the most recent version. So on my iPad, it was thirteen hundred pages. Wow. I think in a printed version, it would be like eleven or twelve hundred. Yeah, but how, it was, how was yeah. It? Anyway. It was mixed. Uh, like, I think Stephen King is just a very mixed writer for me. I don't, I'm glad I did it because I really wanted to know. I wanted to do the opus, so to speak. Like, I just needed to know 
anyway, and it also felt like the right time. It's a pandemic novel. So <laughs> if you want to process your pandemic that way, as I did, then go for it. Anyway, it's just funny you bring him up because I think there's no – in that 1,300-page book, there's no description of a place that is as good as these. Mm-hmm. King really does love, though, to do – when horrific things happen, he does that well, is mm-hmm. what I would say. Yeah. Like, when there's a nightmarish behavior occurring and something really wrong is happening, I do think that he has a way to get the grotesque out, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which I guess is what makes him a good thriller, horror author. My, he's acclaimed and people like him. Um yeah, I won't go into my more way more complex thoughts about the stand here. It's just not the time or place. <laughs> but um, I'm glad I did it. I, I feel like I have a very strong understanding now of nice. him as a writer and everything. So, but anyway, I can at least coming off of that and given the comparison you just made, I can say with confidence, like I don't, I I see the the similarities and I could see it being a reach, you know, or an aspiration. Let's say mm-hmm. I just don't think any of it is quite has the tic-tac flow of this especially again with regards to the places there in the character interaction like it's he plays it way straighter than this is what i would say yeah so the the the, the comparison there was just in particular the the setting of mood and the way that king mm-hmm. can really set a, a mood of terror or of anxiety or of helplessness. There's a lot of negativity yeah, yeah. there. Um, but <laughs> it's true. The yeah. gunslinger did it better than the stand also, by the oh, way. Nice. Yeah. 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 Um, but I did uh, pull a quote to yeah, show please. some of um, the imagery and the mood. And this one is about the, also the Mr. Dark, the illustrated man. Um, mm-hmm. And so, Now part of the wasp, uh, this is from page 103, now part of the wasp needle tattooed population spoke. This is about his tattoos. It was Mr. Dark's mouth over and above this calligraphic explosion, this railroad accident of monsters in tumult upon his sweating skin. Mr. Dark chanted forth the organ tones from his chest. His personal electric blue-green populations trembled, even as the real freaks on the sawdust tent floor trembled, even as, hearing in their most secret marrow, Jim and Will trembled and felt more freak than the freaks themselves. So there's like real, there's a feeling of power and also from the others of helplessness, there's fear. Um, and there's also this like, and this um, feeling that something absolutely terrible is going to happen. I mean, the the, uh, the description of monstrosities and stuff, it's mm-hmm. I think that he does a, a wonderful job with setting mood and, and letting us know who who to like and who not to like. <laughs> That's a good little mini moment in avoiding. It's a good little teaching mini moment, I should say, in avoiding cliche. Hey, what's deeper than hitting your bone? Right into the marrow. Because <laughs> yeah. if you would have said, I felt it in my bones, you know, that's a quick editor's cliche note. And then yep. that is what it said, right? It was I was trying to listen to all the detail, but it in didn't marrow, say something yep. about hitting the marrow. Yeah, it's yep. just like, there's a great little example of how, how do you avoid a cliche? <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, that's great. No, a phenomenal quote. It just feels like uh, you could find mood pieces of any variety. I What I just did a second ago was, oh, and I closed it too, so I'm a fool. I opened a tab and I just Googled <laughs> um, literary words for mood and was just going to read a list because I, the funny thing I was going to try, let me actually just do it now. I can edit, always edit this out later. 
Feel free to talk if you want to. Uh, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> okay, I'm going to credit this to the website writersright.co.za. No idea what this is. Not trustworthy. Anyway, the, supposedly they have a list of 140 words for mood. Let me just pull some negative oh, ones wow. out here and let's see how many we think he has accomplished so far. Um, let me just read the first 10. Alienated. I think so. I think uh, uh, definitely Will's dad. Yeah. Uh, angry. Uh, yeah, Mr. Cougar. Annoyed. The Jim. Teacher, probably. And Will yeah. And yeah, Anxious. Anxious. The boys Will, constantly Jim. at the carnival. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a- lightning apathetic? The dad, kind of? Well, not apathy. He's more resigned. Yeah, I would say resigned. Uh, Let's jump ahead in the alphabet here. Um, Foreboding. Ooh, yeah, for sure. I mean, everything we've read. (laughs) Frightened. (laughs) For sure. Will, definitely. Yeah, and I'll nightmarish, numb. Numb kind of, too, because they're so paralyzed. Paralyzed is one, I think, on here, too. Paralyzed by the, you know, the horrors of the fair and the when they age that man to death, essentially. Yeah. Um, Anyway, I just, that's a goofy little exercise, but I was only pulling it up to make the point of just, it's not like you can find any mood you want here, but when writing is this, I don't know, vast and exploratory or something you can kind of you feel so many things or it's establishing so much it's you know there i just feel like to pick a page pick a quote and you can kind of find something else if that makes sense yeah excellent anything else to continue other than just you know all the dozens of things we've said (laughs) no just just everything continue (laughs) yeah fair enough um let's jump to the motifs then i know we went out of order listeners so if you're a diehard hopefully you're not too upset i also (laughs) feel like we did this before but who who knows (laughs) i feel like we've changed the order before the motifs that matter this is going to be an analytical segment where each of us picks a motif so just any idea literary device author stylistic choice um story related thing anything really that gets repeated that we think is important and of note and significance i guess um, let's go with yours first, Amanda, since I feel like I just rambled again. What yeah. is the motif that you chose and uh, help us understand it? I think I chose the obvious one, which is um, time. There's constant references to aging and age differences. So like Will's dad is is constantly ruminating on the fact that he and Will, like he's not a young dad. And he keeps talking to Will about like, oh, you're your youth, your youthfulness and stuff. And Mm -hmm. he kind of almost regrets that he's so old in a lot of ways. Um, And then there's the, the, the carousel itself, which plays with time and aging. Um, And there's also Miss Foley when she goes into the um, maze of mirrors and she comes out and um, is panicking because she says that she had seen herself at a younger age. Right. Um, and so there's that. And also the idea on the other side of that is is immortality, um, which is the frozen woman um, that was in like an ice block that the lightning rod man possibly let out. That's not clarified yet. Um, so here's a question about maybe this was just I was caught up in the imagery of it all and the, the technique. I interpreted that as an ice block with a vacuous space in it that was hollowed out like a woman. Was there an actual like body or person in it? I don't I I 
interpreted it as um, a person, but like so frozen and therefore like almost translucent, which is why he was able to talk about he could imagine what she would look like, I suppose. Um, but but then also saying that there was hair and stuff. I don't know. That's that's a, yeah, that's a hard yeah. question to answer, I think. It said, it, too, I, I found the page. We can do some, do some diving yeah. in, 41. It says, what color was her hair? It was blonde to whiteness and might take any color once set free of cold. So there was clearly, there's actual hair there. Yeah. Yeah. And then a couple other descriptions, too. Let me see. She was as fair as the morning, as this morning, and fresh as tomorrow's flowers and lovely as any maid when a man shuts up his eyes and traps her in cameo perfection on the shell of his eyelids. It's got to be, of course, the shell of his eyelids because it's there's no metaphor un, unexplored in this book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and then there's some memories about ancient Rome and Florence and other maddening things. Melt the ice. And, and the ice is melted later. And mysteriously, of course, this is the... The lightning rod salesman yeah. having these, you know, wonderances and pondering her beauty. And then, of course, he have, he is later, they believe, turned into a... Dwarf. See, there's just so many terms we would not... Is dwarf yeah. an actually... Okay, I just <laughs> no, want to make sure we're using... I don't think we would actually use that term. I was... Okay, yeah. Unless I just, you're it's playing a delicate D&D. thing. <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah, in a fantasy world, these terms are, yeah, transformed, <laughs> literally. Anyway, yes, a, a shrunken... I mean, in his case, it seems like he's been shrunken because... They can compare his old appearance to his new. Right. His hands look the same. Like, that's in particular. And then when he Mm -hmm. reveals his face, they look at his eyes and they're like, it's him. (laughs) Yeah. So maybe he gave in to temptation. That's odd, though. I wonder what image, and, you know, this is a literary thing we can talk through, but when you're dealing with a book like this that has these descriptive ambitions and is attempting all the dozens of things we've said for various reasons, I just had a, I guess I was just literally confused. I mean, that can happen (laughs) when you're, when you're lost in the sauce. I just literally thought it was like, oh, they, they hollowed it out and had this creepy, you know, I could picture it being like a reflective, you know, how the sun hits it from mm-hmm. angles and it like there's a, there's supposed to be a person there, but it's, so that's just how my brain filled it in. But I think, yeah, I think you read it well. Uh, anyway, so keep going with time. What else? Um, and uh, another instance of immortality is Will's dad's ideas about how mothers are immortal because they mm-hmm. um, are immortalized by their, their children and their grandchildren, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and yeah. I actually pulled a quote from that, and that's uh, from page 56. Um, mm-hmm. She's immortal. She has a son. Your son, too. But what father ever really believes it? He carries no burden. He feels no pain. What man, like woman, lies down in darkness and gets up with child? The gentle, smiling ones own the good secret. Oh, what strange, wonderful clocks women are. They nest in time. They make the flesh that holds fast and binds eternity. They live inside the gift, no power, accept, and need not mention it. Why speak of time when you are time and shape the universal moments as they pass into warmth and action? How men envy and often hate these warm clocks, these wives who know they will live forever. So what do we do? We men turn terribly mean because we can't hold to the world or ourselves or anything. We are blind to continuity. All breaks down, falls, melts, stops, rots, or runs away. Since since we cannot shape time, where does that leave men? Sleepless, staring. Um, and then he goes on and he gives a specific time, which we often see actually specific times. There's the repetition of 3 a.m., which is when the 
carnival yeah. Yeah. train comes in. And also several references to clocks in particular and the concept of time as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. How do you, well, give me, throw some interpretations out there. Don't just tantalize us. Is there any, is this building to something? What's your, what's your mid-book thesis on this? Um, I think that it's related in particular to, um, to Jim's need to feel grown up. There's a lot of references to Jim kind Mm -hmm. of like seeing the world very differently from Will in a lot of ways where Jim seems to have a lot more wisdom um, and mm-hmm. Will is still fairly naive and um, very innocent in a lot of ways. And Jim just wants to, he, he's yearning to leave, but he can't leave until he's older because they're only 13 in this book right now. Um, right, right. So he's like chomping at the bit to leave, but also he's like sad to leave his friend because he knows that Will is not, is not like that. Will is content you know, he loves to read books. He's like his dad in a lot of ways, right? He's he's a good kid um, who wants to explore, maybe, but ultimately will probably settle down in that town. So mm-hmm. I think that all of that is going to tie back to uh, Jim's, Jim's way of growing up. I think that we're going to see that play out later. Yeah, definitely. Wasn't Jim's... Okay, just real quick, because you know how bad I am with names. Will, <laughs> we know his dad, janitor, at the library. Yeah. So I, in my brain, it's like, Will's the calm one, and Jim is the crazy running around. Yes. <laughs> but that, mm-hmm. those are correct. Okay, those are the correct associations. Yeah. We can get into more description from there, but I just wanted to make sure I had the basic switch. Isn't Jim's revelation that he wanted, you know, he's, gonna, he's trying to jump on the ride. Will fights him over it, basically, like physically has to almost beat him to not, <laughs> yeah. to not let him get on to age himself. Yeah. Um, that was kind of a late in the book revelation, right? Like, did the early parts of the book, was Jim saying things or frustrated about his age? That felt like a sudden, not sudden revelation, but that felt like a pretty new development, did, did, were there moments earlier that I'm just that I just glossed over about him complaining about their that their children or he wants to you know I it's kind of it was kind of vague right it just talks about how he'd have a stronger body how he could go it just kind of makes it sound like he wants to explore the world there it didn't I don't think it like named an activity yeah it he, didn't yeah. name an activity but the I I kind of knew from the the beginning with the lightning rod salesman. Um, mm-hmm. Because of the way that the salesman had described Will versus Jim, where looking into Jim's right. eyes, he could see that this was somebody who like could see actually see the world and know the world, and and wasn't just you know blind from being so innocent and young, but somebody who has experienced stuff and and actually sees mm-hmm. the truth of the world. And I was like, okay, so he's more mature than than Will, even though. Bradbury makes a point to, to be like they are the same age. They're just you know a few minutes apart in age. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's I I, I kind of could feel because they keep talking. Bradbury keeps mentioning um, in particular Jim's wisdom and his ability to to understand the the world in a in a more sinister or cynical rather way than Will yeah, does. Yeah. And and that he's ch- that's why he's so wild. That's why he's always pushing limits and stuff. 
Yeah, totally. I think, isn't it in the most recent part of the book, the conversation, isn't it Will's father, though, who compliments him and says Will is wise, that he has a quiet wisdom to him or something? Right, yeah. Yeah. I did pull... So I did pull some quotes. You want me to switch into my motif? Did yeah, you have any other thoughts it. on time? Were there any? Okay. N- yep. None that we missed, you think? Moments yeah. to hit on that. Um, I thought my motif was the most obvious. So I'm glad that we each pulled one. We or you know, we can insult each other over whose was more <laughs> obvious. <laughs> but mine's also more vague than yours. So I think maybe that's an unfair. I'm being unfair. Mine is opposites, which is the I only pulled something so broad because the obvious thing then would be to be like, well, let's just analyze Will and Jim. They're such foils. Like it's such a blatant, aggressive attempt at establishing a friendship where two people have such different desires and impulses and everything. And yeah. yet, of course, they have they have such fundamental things in common too. They're they're rambunctious teenagedom, teen teenagerdom or however you want to phrase it but then when i thought about it i was like well there are other clear moments of contrast in the book too a lot of these forces bradbury's writing it to seem ancient which again some of the history references are maybe a little hit me a little too heavy at this point but i think he is trying to present some ideas that he considers kind of i don't know fundamental or primal or something like that Mm -hmm. Um, let's start with will and jim though so uh opposites Page 46 here. This is just a quick little description at the bottom. And running, Will thought, boy, it's the same old thing. I talk, Jim runs. I I tilt stones, Jim grabs the cold junk under the stones and lickety split. I climb hills, Jim yells off church steeples. I got a bank account, Jim's got the hair on his head, the yell in his mouth, and the shirt on his back, and the tennis shoes on his feet. How come I think he's richer? Because, Will thought, I sit on a rock and in the sun, and old Jim, he prickles his arm hairs by moonlight and dances with hot, hot toads. I tend cows. Jim tames gila monsters. Fool, I yell at Jim. Coward, he yells back. And here we go. And then they, you know, run off together. So it's it's such a bizarre list, right? And there's a lot to unpack even there. But it they are, he is kind of setting Will up in this, yeah, Midwestern, it's in Illinois, farmer, normalcy, you know, a reliable, steady type of person, a, a a stable character, you know, risk averse. And then of course there's the Gila monsters quote and Jim. So Jim isn't even just, I don't know. I don't, I haven't been thinking of him as more wise, but just more ambitious or reckless, maybe both together and just sort of, um, spunky is a word that I keep thinking of just, you know, won't be told. No, won't, won't be held back. Won't be restrained. And so, I, yeah, how have you analyzed them? There's so many quotes to unpack to, but when comparing them, they're opposites and they're foiling each other in so many ways, but that's my starter analysis, I guess. Nice. Yeah. What do you, what do you think? Anything with those two that to, worth analyzing that we're missing? Differences between them or similarities? No. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear that they're set up to be foils from, from the very beginning because their physical descriptions are completely mm-hmm. different as well. You've got Will who's fair haired and and everything, and then you've got uh Jim Nightshade, right? Last name. Nightshade. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> who's darker. He's got these bright green eyes and everything else. So it's they're they're from the very beginning they're best friends, but they, they are complete opposites. I'm curious to see what the novel will have to say about that. Yeah. So far it's it's T B D. It's just that it, I mean, if the carnival is some kind of primordial evil force or something like that, then 
Jim obviously seems willing to deal with it to get what he wants. Will skeptical. Who knows what values, systems analyses we can do, you know, of, <laughs> of the American or landscape or American culture. Who knows what we'll be able to say by the end. But it, right. it does seem like Jim, if Will is meant to represent some kind of stability, American life, he, he does have a two-parent household, you know, that kind of a thing, mm-hmm. that kind of a American nuclear family norm, normalcy, normalcy, normalcy is not a word, normality or normalcy, <laughs> take your pick, <laughs> both, um, oh, just, as always, just sociologist style making up words over here, no problem, <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, it just... I'm curious what it'll do with Jim by the end then. Yeah. Jim, of course, is also hesitant. Do you, he saw something in the mirrors, right? Where he thinks he, he saw did. the future, maybe? That's why he keeps saying, don't leave me or you won't leave me. Yeah. Yeah. He's he promise yeah. you won't leave me, Will. So they're the most obvious opposites. And I was going to dedicate the whole thing to them. But I stumbled on a couple others. Let me hit you with some. I don't have to reread this quote because you read it so wonderfully already. Men and women. Um, mm mm-hmm quite clearly meant to be opposites here and the father puts in a strong interpretation the, the you know with the wife having the immortality of her flesh and childbirth being a very sacred ancient kind of ritualistic description in that sense you know time with a capital t <laughs> notably and then of course he, he says on 57 3 a.m that's our reward three in the morn the soul's midnight the tide goes out the soul ebbs and a train arrives at an hour of despair why and then of course he like doesn't answer his wife she's trying to help him <laughs> like i will save you from your existential man crisis and he's like no i <laughs> i have to stare at the darkness the stillness of the night anyway so yeah that's I, I again can only be left halfway through the book wondering at that like thinking if that will be significant if his father will give in to some kind of temptation it doesn't seem like he wants it's interesting, right? Because if it ends up dealing more with time and his father mourns lost time or wasted time, he does say, though, explicitly that he had two decades of wild living, that he was untamed and that he ran his free masculine energy around and wore himself out, right? And then met his wife at 39. So I don't know what he would desire. He just seems unsettled. Right, right. There's, yeah, there's some restlessness there. And I think it's interesting, too, when you, you mentioned that it's, you know, men and women are opposites. The only female narrative voice that we have is Miss Foley, who is not a mother and who is unmarried. Yeah, right. And also longs for it, right? She, like, purposefully, like, goes and, and turns Will and Jim in, even though she knows that the nephew, and she, she realizes that, you know, she never really believed that that was her nephew, that the yeah. nephew had set them up, but she goes to do that because she wants to go to the carnival to experience that because of her experience in the magic maze um, of mirrors and seeing her young self. So there's there's a parallel there too. It's like so maybe it's like men versus uh mothers in particular cuz mm-hmm. the the mothers are not really given a voice. You know, Amanda, I can't help but wonder if Bradbury, like King, does not see a differentiation in the two terms you just used. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Women are mothers, period. <laughs> I think there's uh, I'm I'm curious about that. If if yeah. the, if a female character in this book can escape some kind of matronly description or yearning or plot device complication 
etc. I guess we'll see. King definitely has, um, the stand taught me that (laughs) he's, he's got some thoughts. (laughs) He's, he's weighing into on that, uh, in some interesting ways. So anyway, yeah. Any other thoughts on men and women? I I mean, you picked the, the gem of the quote and it's, until we get more action out of his father i mean he's so quick to dismiss the kid's behavior that's one thing mm-hmm. we know he he dismisses it he clearly thinks it is some deep inherited genetic thing with boys and men that they yeah. have this spirit of undeniable restlessness shiftiness and kind of i don't know un- unstillness <laughs> chaos i guess yeah. chaotic energy about them they just got to explore final opposites then uh, though there's probably a ton more this is just the third one i pulled evidence for let's talk about children versus adults not total opposites though i will say that's maybe an oversimplification because obviously his dad feels things that he sees in his son and then also you know both jim and the teacher clearly have they are enticed by visions right they they Mm -hmm. both are drawn for maybe different reasons but they're both they both seem susceptible to you know the allure of the fair carnival so you know not total opposites but there's a clear moment of opposites here on 108 that i thought i'd pull and it's when the children are so terrified obviously they saw the man die and then of course he comes back and he's you know creepily whispering at them and barely seems alive but um so it says you know there's just a couple descriptions on 108 it says will shuffled to the right the old spittle eye followed sucking at him with its emptiness will squirmed left and then later the policemen nudged each other with identical smiles no cried will suddenly that's no act he was dead he'd die again if you cut the power will slapped his own hand to his mouth oh lord he thought what am i doing and then you know later the cops make a joke about it at the end when they're leaving the oh and then the policemen laugh a couple times you know they're exchanging banter a little bit and then when they leave the paramedics they were paramedics right different term but the pair yeah the paramedics there one of them does say oh i you know i could have sworn that guy did look dead and then the other one just kind of dismisses him and the guy shrugs off and is like yeah whatever (laughs) he was not dead now so who who cares (laughs) and so there's just a clear difference in perspective and investment in terms of who is more likely to believe the horrors of the night, right? This is kind of not an archetypal thing, but a pretty classic thing is that, you know, kids are, everything in them is so heightened and they're, they're so much more willing to believe things and so much more willing to engage with certain ideas and feelings. And yeah. so it's clear, you know, the kids are bought into this horror, which they've witnessed. And of course the adults are just skeptical laugh it off you know it's not interesting it's not as not as distressing so i thought that was just a that i don't think that contrast has any maybe depth to it or something but it was worth noting because it's it's important of course at that moment in the story that some adults discredit what they've seen because it's obviously they otherwise would just shut the carnival down right (laughs) be like whoa what is this dark magic you know it's in illinois in the rural parts of illinois so any thoughts on adults and children did you see any contrast in that yeah, I saw some of that. And then also the idea that, um, so the disbelief, but also the idea that children are free. Like there's a sense of freedom for them, yeah, which Will's yeah. dad brings up a lot. And a kind of like feeling of almost being trapped with, in particular, mm-hmm. the men um, that we see. And perhaps even Miss Foley. Um Mm-hmm. But Will's dad feels trapped and he sees his son as being free, which is funny because Jim sees himself as kind of trapped as a child. Um, and then he sees getting older as being 
freedom. Definitely. Yeah. And I think it's noteworthy. The more I think about the father, the more I think it's he's going to be critical to how we unpack this book by the time it ends, I think. He's just had such strange and interesting little bursts of meaning into the narrative, like here and there. He's not a main character. You know, you could call him one if you wanted, but it's... Yeah, I don't know. He, I find him more intriguing the more we talk about him because he. Yeah. Do you remember him also talking about he at some point says like I wish we didn't have kids or <laughs> like when he's supposed to reprimand Will. He doesn't yeah. quite say it that way, and I, I don't have the page on me, but he basically says or mumbles something like we sh- we couldn't even or we shouldn't even have had kids. <laughs> it's just kind of like holy shit. Okay, I didn't know he was pushing <laughs> it that far. Yeah, that was when um, they came home late and missed their dinner time. From the fair, from the carnival. Right, right. You're going to take dinner time away from a man? Come on. (laughs) (laughs) That's man time. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Okay, any other thoughts on... Did I miss any opposites for my motif? Um, None that I can think of off the top of my head. Okay. I wonder what horrors await. We'll see. Because that's the other thing, too, thinking about the spooky, magical aspect of this book. So far, it's all been time manipulation based, and they obviously electrocuted that man. So that was kind of yeah. that was something. <laughs> <laughs> but I am curious to see if it turns into kind of a, what would they say, like menagerie of terrifying things, or if it's all going to be time related. I guess we'll, you know, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll find out. Any other motifs you wanted to discuss? Uh, nope, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. Let's move on then. Final segment, I think, right? We did the police continue, make it stop. Yeah. I rambled enough there, so let's move into the final (laughs) section here of the pod. Uh, For fiction, um, we like to do, and end the first book club episode anyway, we like to do one big, bold prediction, since we've read, obviously, half the book and have had to go. Amanda, do you want to start with your bold prediction for the second half? Sure. Um, I think that Jim will join the Dark Circus as... Maybe a oh. way to both save Will and to escape the town because Will just keeps kind of flubbing things with the dark circus and, and kind of mm-hmm. making them hate him a little bit more. Uh, Jim would be, I think, more willing to join them um, because of his wild streak there. Uh, there's a mm-hmm. lot of talk of leaving behind um there's a lot of talk of aging and of the growing distance between the two boys and of jim's need to go away to not be in that town um but will is kind of the opposite he's 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 happy to stay he wants to explore but he's also happy to do that through the through his books so i think that ultimately we're going to see that jim might join the the carnival and don't call it an allegory. Wasn't it him that said, like, I can't read allegories or something? I for, in the library, he had some funny quote about yeah. that. Jim did. I, th- I think it was Jim. Yeah, he doesn't. He wants the he wants the facts, wants to travel the world. Yeah. Do, it, with your prediction, here's a question. It does seem like everyone in the carnival is like a thrall or a, I, I don't want to say slave. That to me has too much historical meaning to be thrown about. But it does seem like they're servants. They're commanded they're maybe stuck especially if they're correct that the salesman is now stuck it just doesn't seem very choice based or maybe they're seduced it would be another way to put it by evil or by forces i so if you go if jim goes you think it'll be by choice though it kind of sounded like you might think he might choose it yes because he's already being seduced by it um so like with with the the lightning rod man what eventually he melted the ice which was a form of seduction because he was lusting for that 
for the mm-hmm. woman in the ice. Yeah. And so I guess his punishment was then to uh, to join the circus. But that, again, is, is a, a, a form of seduction. And I think that Jim is being seduced in a different way. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that also with the threat against his best friend, Will. Right. I think that's what ultimately is going to lead him to agree to a life of servitude. Totally. Okay. Yeah. That's, I think that's a solid prediction too. Mine is similar. I didn't go as specific as you. It's a difficult one. I I wanted to do some predictions about maybe other horrors or types of nightmarish things that they could explore with the carnival. I do. Cause as I mentioned, I do wonder if it's all going to be time-based stuff or if there are other yeah. kind of disgusting you know, unnatural things that they can do. So I, I don't know. I didn't want to make a prediction because I truly can't say. And they've also, the other thing in the book is they've a couple of times pretty heavily foreshadowed, I shouldn't say they, Bradbury, <laughs> has foreshadowed the other people present as part of the group of freaks, as he puts it. And they mm-hmm. just haven't, sh- those people haven't shown up or they haven't shown powers or abilities or who knows. Anyway, so part of my brain's there. Anyway, my safe prediction is this though. I just think that something bad is going to happen to Jim. <laughs> I put <laughs> yeah. the tragedy would befall him. I know you made it sound like that's why I was poking it, how you phrase it, because you made it sound like more of a choice. I think he'll get, it'll be, it won't be a good outcome for him, even if he gets partially what he wants. I just think that he's got that boyhood spirit. He's got too much summertime, rambunctious, free energy. He's just, it, without Will to restrain him, he already would have been 150 years old. Or yeah. I guess Will broke, never mind, Will broke the machine. He would have just been old, normal old, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, 30 or whatever. But so I suppose that that's part of it. But it's, yeah, his curiosity, there's no way he ends this book in a neutral state, right? There's just, he's just too ferocious in what he wants. So I think he's going to rush into something, you know, and I am reading it as a tragedy, mostly because the mood of this book is just so grim. Well, maybe not grim, but it's just so intense and sort of like overwhelmingly. Oh, what's the right? I should pull the mood words back up. I'm trying to think because it's not grim per se, but it is it's ominous. Ominous for sure. That's a good kind of yeah. It's a safer one to use. So that's my that's my prediction for Jim. I, that's the one I feel safest about making. That makes sense. I I feel like he's kind of destined to have a, a sad ending uh, because I mean, his mom. Like there was the exchange with his mom, and there was mention that his mom had already lost two children. Yeah, and so yeah, she's Jim is yeah. the last one. Yeah, she even says some line about like you won't leave me or something. Right, it's, it was kind of a little. It was almost like a pitiable, you know, like it's a like oh man, she's really yeah. She need, she needs something to ground her to this world, you know. She needs some yeah. kind of connection, and, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the reasons why he wants to get away is because it's like a lot of pressure to be everything mm-hmm. to one person. Definitely, yeah, yeah. I yeah. Hopefully, maybe she'll join him. She can be the I don't know the mystical. Hair dance. I don't know. I forget the terms. Isn't there some kind of witch they've mentioned a couple times? Some kind of yeah, something witch? Yeah, not dirt witch. Dust? Dust, dust witch? witch? That's what it okay. is, Okay, yeah. I was going to say ghost. No, it's the dust witch. Yeah, maybe she can become a dust witch. There we go. You maybe know, she that. is the dust witch, and it's all just like moments in time. Oh, good grief. Good gravy. <laughs> um, I'm on board, though, with that reading. Sure, I'm not saying no. Excellent. Any other predictions you want to make for the back half? 
nope i'm i'm excited to read the back half though <laughs> yeah yeah thrilled about it i think i set the tone early by rambling and yeah i think this was a rambling episode for us but that's okay <laughs> i felt good about it it's it all i also feel like i blinked in the you know podcast is over and i i it's funny too i look back at it now with intense books and especially ones that we find more dense like this it's like there are a hundred things i wanted to i feel like we ignored such obvious things like we didn't talk about the storm archetype like the whole opening of the book which yeah. is, it starts off with such an incredibly maybe obvious but like really intense and ominous you know metaphor slash archetypal kind of opening with the weatherman and all that talk and everything. it's like we didn't even talk about that because it's yep. <laughs> there's a million things to read and quote okay any final thoughts before i um venture too far off again uh nope i'm good yeah it's an exciting first half we will of course see about the second half see if it holds up and I'm curious. Yeah, I'll keep a special eye out for the father now, too. You've, we've yeah. raised, by discussing this, we've raised my, I don't know, antenna to what that guy's going to be doing and mm-hmm. if he'll get sucked into the fair. 3 a.m., you know? We, we all do things <laughs> we regret at 3 a.m., I suppose. <laughs> you know? Um, that's the man's okay. hour, apparently. It, yeah, that's right. That's when I do my most manly, that's when I eat my man dinner. What was that brand of frozen meals? Was it just called, like, man food? Oh, um... Big Man? Something like that. I want to say, like, Big Man. Oh, God. Man Witches. I remember that. Of course. Man Witch. (laughs) Great. Yeah, you guys were missing out. (laughs) Aren't you envious of this Man Witch? Yeah. Anyway. Hungry Man, I think. Oh, that's what it was. Hungry Man. Hungry Man. All right. Tomorrow, I've got to run to the store and load up on some Hungry Mans (laughs) so I can eat them at 3. Nothing like waking up at 3 a.m. and eating some microwave meatloaf and mashed potatoes, you know, like a man does. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's that's what makes me feel strong. Gives me my big muscles. (laughs) Anyway. Uh, thanks for listening listeners as always as I mentioned we have social media accounts we'd appreciate if you followed us on Instagram and Facebook we are at the Lightly Literary Podcast all one word we have been as I mentioned the Lightly Literary Podcast we do have other book picks coming up if you're curious about our reading schedule Amanda will catch you up on that right now so we have books chosen and they're coming up in order Amanda do you want to run them through our choices sure we've got a nonfiction piece Ghetto Side by Jill Lavoy mm-hmm. then we have a young adult novel novel uh, called We Are Okay by Nina LaCour. And then we have another graphic novel, which is The Inkle by, it's pronounced Hodorowski um, and Mobius, Mm -hmm. um, but Hodorowski is spelled J-O-D-O-R-O-W-S-K-Y. Yes. I wonder too if it's ink, you said ink-call? Ink? I have always went in, in in-call, in-call. I-N-C-A-L, ink-call? Yeah, I, I don't know, actually. No, you have me questioning. I should look up that uh, pronunciation. The in-call. <laughs> anyway, yeah. I'm very curious. It could not be more artistically different than the other graphic novel we've done. So that's kind of why I chose it. And yeah. it's sci-fi. So I'm cu- curious to see your thoughts on it. I've read yeah. a couple other Mobius graphic novels that he drew. So we'll see, we'll see how you react to that one. Anyway, yeah, that's what we've got coming up. Um, We appreciate you listening as always. Rate and review on any podcast platform. We thank you for that. We appreciate you um, listening to our Bradbury ramblings. We'll be back next Friday with episode two, (laughs) book club part two. We always split our book clubs on any book in half. So look forward to that. And until next time, we'll see you between the pages. 